Well, good morning. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's start with a quick prayer, amen? amen? Let's pray. Father, I come before you and I just ask, Spirit, that you be powerfully with all of us this morning. Lord, that your Spirit would be on each of our hearts, working in us and leading us and helping us to understand who you are. I pray and ask that you would let me just be a conduit, a, a an instrument of your will this morning, speak through me and speak to each and every one of us, including myself, Jesus. I love you. We praise you. We lift up your name. Our amazing, amazing Father, God, and Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen. 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 Well, if you uh, have a Bible, we're going to look at a number of different scriptures. Uh, and I'm going to actually throw a bunch of slides up there. So you can wait and I'm going I'm to hit a bunch of smaller ones. If I say the word big, something big, when you think of something big, what, what do you think of? What's a few things you think of? Throw them out there. The universe. Okay. You guys are getting big. What else? What else do you guys think of? An elephant. Got two elephants. Mount Everest. Tuition. That's a parent who's got kids in school right there. That's true. You think of those things. I mean, you're, and, and when you think of big, you know, you're, you, oftentimes you think, oh, there's always something bigger. There's something bigger. There's something bigger. And, and, but when you think of God, is there anything that surpasses God in his greatness? Right? And, and there isn't. There is, there is just flat out not. God is powerful. He is amazing. I mean, he is unsurpassed. Unsurpassed in his strength, unsurpassed in his power, unsurpassed in his justice, his love, his mercy, his creativity, he is unsurpassed. The title of this morning's sermon is just that, unsurpassed. And I want to talk about three, three aspects of God where he is unsurpassed. We're going to look at how he is unsurpassed in his might. How he's unsurpassed in his patience and how he is unsurpassed in his belief, specifically in you. Amen? And so point one is unsurpassed might. Unsurpassed might. You know, if you ask me, God, his, his power and his capability, I mean, his might, it's, it's awe-inspiring but it's also a little terrifying if you get it. If you really think about the immense power that our God has, right? He is, it's a good thing I started the recorder that it just died. So, the, but you think of that, and when you think of the idea here, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Now I'm with, I'm with Chris and Margaret. When I think of, of big, I start thinking like stars, right? Like I think of like myself, and if you ever play with Google Earth, and you like do your hometown, and you find your house, and then you do the like scrolling out thing, and it just keeps going, and it gets to the point where you're like, it's pretty quick that you can't see Vermont anymore, right? But it, it, you keep going to like North America, the world, and, and it's just like, the world just floating in space. And you keep thinking of it's so much bigger than that. 
You know, I, I think of, as I said, the things like our, this, my size in comparison to the world, but then even our world compared to our sun and how just immensely, just, just insanely big that is, right? I mean, when you think of our scope, but you could take that a whole lot farther. So what I want to do is I'm going to share a, a quick video and taking a look at really how small we are and the idea of what God breathes into existence. It's nearly a million miles in diameter, yet our sun is tiny compared to the really big stars out there. Ada Karenak, over five million times larger than our sun. Beetlejuice, 300 times larger than Ada Karenak. If it was our sun, it would reach as far out as Jupiter. And then there's this monster, V.Y. Canis Majoris, the largest star ever discovered, a billion times bigger than our sun. What's crazy is that's actually not even the biggest star we know of now. The next biggest one is twice the size of that. Our, our sun is 1.3 million times larger than our planet. And yet, the one we just saw is a billion times bigger than our sun. I mean, like, do the scope of math in your... I mean, it, I don't know about you, but my mind just... It's like, I can't do it. I mean, even if, if you were to put the scale of the next largest sun on, on this screen and filled this whole screen, and we had a 4K projector, right, in size... Our sun would not be able to take up a pixel in comparison to size. I mean, it's just, and, and you saw the size of our planet next to the sun, right? Now, here is the thing that gets me. In our galaxy, the largest star is a speck that you can't even see. The only way that you can tell the area that it's around is by the cluster of stars that are around it. You can't even see it. You can only see the stars as they cluster together. And, and our galaxy is one of, we don't even know how many. So when it, it, our, my mind, personally, I, I, it just starts giving up. Like, I can't do it. Like, I just can't do it. Like, you know, it's just when I start trying to think of the scope and the scale of these things... But when I read a scripture like this one, right? That he breathed the stars into existence. Just, that's astounding when you think of what the power that is there. When God said, let it be, it was. Scientists know that they say, okay, the Big Bang happened and it was it wasn't like this explosion 
They, they understand it didn't start from like a little point and then ripple out everywhere. That's not how it worked. He just said, you know, let there be light. And that everything, all the mass, everything that exists currently suddenly just existed. Literally, that's how it worked. There wasn't like a point of origin. It just, everything existed. And right now it's just kind of spreading out. Like if, it's just spreading out apart from each other. So two stars and galaxies are just drifting farther apart. And there's, it's just one full thing. I mean, it was just, but God said, let it be. And it was. You know, and it's meant, I, I think of that because it encourages me and it terrifies me. Personally. Um, because of, you're like, okay, well, if that's the strength of our God, if that's the power that he has, that's kind of scary. I mean, just thinking of that size and scale, it's, it's scary. You guys with me? And yet, I, I'm encouraged when I think of scriptures like the rest of Psalm 33. And I encourage you later, go read it. I think you'll find it very inspiring, very encouraging when you understand that this. It says, blessed is the nations whose God is the Lord, the people he chose as his inheritance. You know, what's amazing about that and why it's encouraging is because that is now us. As, as members of the kingdom of God, we are his people. We are the if it were chosen to receive his inheritance. And, and it says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. You know, I mean, his, he is, his eyes are on us. He is with us. He speaks to the Israelites. He says, I will fight for you. I am on your side. You are my people. Right? Isn't that, I mean, if you think of it in that scale of, of the idea of, man, this incredible God is on our side. It also helps me understand, the, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. But in the same sentence, we hope in his unfailing love. You guys with me? There's this, this balance of trying to see, wow, our God, he is, I am in awe and, and in reverent fear. But at the same time, you know what? I have my hope in his love. And, and that is the God that is for you. He is unsurpassed. There is nothing, nothing more powerful than our God. And he stands beside you, cheering you on, telling you I've got your back. There is nothing that you can't accomplish. Jesus, you know, Jesus telling us, you will do more than even I have done. Why? Because God has our back. The might of this God is with us. You guys with me? And so I, I think of this passage and again, I, I feel excited about it. You know, and while his power is unmatched, right? His, his strength is unrivaled. His might is unsurpassed. It is equal. By his own patience and his own gentleness. Think about this idea for a second. Can you be gentle if you are weak? I don't, I don't think you can. Like, really. I, I think that if you look at gentleness, there has to be a measure of strength to be able to be gentle. And, and so, when you look at God has this immense strength. Think of the concept of how much gentleness he has to have. And in that same 
idea, I look at the concept of God's patience. If you have this kind of power, and, and you've got to have a measure of gentleness, right? But then even thinking like, what would happen if God just, what has happened, think of, when God just gets angry? I mean, even just what we see is so measured. Even with the God who breathes stars into existence. But I think of the patience of God. To say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to endure. And, and I don't think you can be patient unless you have a measure of passion or a measure of desire to see something happen. Like, teachers are so excited every year at the end of school because the kids are going to go and they get to have summer vacation, right? And Devin and Monica aren't here, and I was thinking of Monica. She, like, we got to see her the last day of school, and she was so excited. She's like, it still hasn't even hit me that I don't have work tomorrow. You know, and, and later we were still spending time. She goes, I don't have work tomorrow. You know, you can just see it. And, but the, the anticipation for something that, the desire, the passion for something. You know, I think if you're getting married and you're passionate and you desire to get married. I was so excited to, to be married. Or, or so excited to see so many different things. Things that we deeply desire. We want to see it happen. And it is hard to be patient, is it not? But I think about how God, he is, he is unsurpassed in his patience. Go to your, turn in your Bible over to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read here. We're going to read a good chunk of this chapter. In 2 Peter 3, and, and God's might is on display in this passage. All right, But I think also we get to see that he has an incredible measure of patience. And, and I want to look at why. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 3, says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since your fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But, they deliberately forget that long ago, God's word, uh, ago by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, 
Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our, brother, or as our dear brother Paul also wrote with wisdom that God gave him. You know, I think of this scripture in, in a couple of different things, and, and I made a little bit of a jump, and I, I want to go back here and just look at this for a second. Um, and we're going we're gonna to unpack this, but we're going to focus specifically in, in this, this section here. But I, I introduced this idea saying that God is passionate, right? That, that you have to have a measure of, I didn't say that, you have to have a measure of passion to be patient. Now, we know that God is incredibly passionate and has a deep desire to see humanity be saved and be reunited with him. How do we know that? We know that because he sent Jesus Christ to come and live. He came as a man to live and die for our sins. You know, we, we talk about what it was like to die on a cross. The thing that blows my mind is the idea of going from being a God to being a man. Personally. I mean, the one that breathed stars into existence to like then becoming, like choosing to embody a man. Scripture says he became nothing. Like that sacrifice. I mean, how much do you have to care about something to make that level of a sacrifice. You with me? And so when you think of that, and then let alone be mocked and scoffed and ridiculed and murdered and beaten and spit on, I mean, just everything, right? How passionate do you have to be about something to fight and let that happen to you? So does God, is he, does he have a desire to be with you? Absolutely he does. Does he have a desire to be with humanity? Absolutely he does. And so when we see this might, he goes, all right, there's going to be a time and a day where I'm going to bring it all to completion, right? And those who are with me are going to be with me. But what is he waiting for, right? Why is he waiting and enduring and and being patient? Because he wants people to be saved. It's been 2,000 years, right, since this passage was written down. And you think, that's a long time. I remember that one of the first times I read this as a young Christian, I was blown away because I almost that week heard somebody make a joke like, they've been saying that forever. He still hasn't come back yet. And literally I read this passage and was like, what? It says that in the Bible? You know, but it's one of those things where it's, God is, is waiting. Why is he doing this? Because he wants to be with us. And in, in, in this section here, I, I look at it, you know, for me, it's, it is a little unsettling, you know, look at the power of God in the scripture. You know, his might is on display in both ends around verses 8 and 10. I mean, it sits between two stunning descriptions of what he can do. And for me, there is a balance to be found between fearing the Lord and hoping in his unfailing love. Right, as we talked about in the psalm that was mentioned earlier. You know, but I just think of you know, God has, has a plan to see the world reconciled. He has a deep, a deep desire to see people come to him. But here's the thing. Do you realize, do you remember, do you feel 
that you are a part of that plan. Like you are a part of his plan to see the world be reconciled. Right? That his whole intention of reconciling the world, he has brought you into that purpose. Right? And that's that's where I think of the scripture and 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 come to the idea of, man, God believes in you. He is an unsurpassed belief. Nobody will believe in in you more in your whole life than God does. He has handed off to you something incredible. And and that's why my point three is this, that he is is unsurpassed in his belief in you. And even feeling that in our lives, of knowing, man, this is how God feels about me. In Matthew 5, verse 14 uh, through 16, it says this. Jesus is speaking to his followers. Jesus says, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think of also this other passage, which we know well, Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Scripture says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, I see this passage, and I see that from very early on, Jesus is handing over to his disciples his role in the world. In, in John 8, right, Jesus declares, he says, I am the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. In Matthew 5, though, we see that Jesus gives the title to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. He's entrusting that title to his followers, which is us, right? And and you think of that. His mission on earth was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, to fulfill the will of God on earth. He came to teach and instruct and tell people about it. And what does he do? We see in Matthew 28, right? We see again that he is entrusting his disciples with his mission. Now, we talk about this scripture a lot, and with good reason, right? It's the Great Commission. <laughs> uh, Jesus is, is clearly stating his goal for his disciples then, for, for them, and now for us. right? But notice the first line. Before he gives the direction, the directive, <laughs> we see that they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubt. Do you ever doubt? Right? I mean, I definitely I definitely have felt that before and I've been like, am I a bad Christian? And the answer is no. But I think about this idea of of where God is when he where Jesus is at right now. He's at the end of his ministry. He's about to take off. And he's dealing with these guys. He's come, he's called them, and he says, Alright guys, I brought you together, and I'm about to hand this off to you. And like, 
and then some doubted. What would like what would have been like if you'd be like, I should have picked somebody else. You know what I mean? It's like you skeptics. I mean, he knew, right? But I think here we see that Jesus, man, he believes in these guys. You know, he could have said, I was going to hand off uh, this mission to you, but I guess I got to stick around and teach you guys until you get it on straight. You know, I'll, uh, I'll delay my return to heaven and walk you through this step by step until you're perfectly confident. But that's not what he does. He just he believes in them. He says he, he knows and then he hands it off to them. He hands them this commission. Even the skeptics, the doubters, the people who were, they've seen him die on a cross, come back, perform miracles, all of this stuff. And he still says, hey, I want you to go and do this. And the truth is, we're part of this legacy now. We have taken this on. And even when we doubt, God's still sitting, Jesus is up there going, I believe in you. You, I am with you. You got this. You know, and we doubt, right? It happens. But he's behind us. And so, you know, he, he knows our hearts. He knows where we are. And, and what encourages me more as well is that he then sent the Holy Spirit to them. It wasn't like he just left them alone. He sent them the Spirit which brought them power, which gave them direction. And, and we have that same Spirit. The question really becomes, do we listen to the Spirit as well as they did? Right? The Spirit's with us. Jesus is with us. He intercedes for us to this day. He believes in us. Right? And then I love the idea that God is, is up there, you know, this radiant star. Like, you can't even... If we were to look upon him, we would just, I guess, dissolve. Is kind of how it's described. Yet Jesus is sitting at his right hand, and he's just going, Hey, I know them. I know what it's like to be where they're at. I, I'm, and he's just interceding on our behalf. They've got this. Don't don't get frustrated. Just you know, like, and just talking to God on your behalf. He's bringing your prayers to the Father for you. Right? I don't know if you think of it that way, but that just inspires me to think like, man, Jesus is with me, and the Spirit is there with me, and no one ever will believe in you more than God does. Um. You know, I, I know that some of us may feel like that may be true for everybody else, but not for me. God just doesn't use me. I feel like I try to do stuff, and then just it never it never happens the way I want. Anybody felt that or thought that before? You know, I think a lot of those times, man, that's just lies from Satan. See, if you feel like God just doesn't use me, or uh, that may be true for everybody else, but not for me, that's just not true. It's a lie from Satan trying to convince you that he's not with you. And that's just not true. You've, you've got to go to the scriptures. You've got to rebuke that thought. You know, I think of, for me, what it, what it took for me to become a Christian. And how God can work through people that are just clueless, right? Um, there was a teen named Clay that I met my first day getting off of the bus in high school. I, I, I literally, like, got off the bus, was just this little freshman me, nerdy as all get out, 
and, and kind of followed this other kid that I'd been sitting next to on the bus, and this group, like, right there, just kind of walked up, and I met this guy named Clay, and we got to be friends. Clay actually became a disciple, like, a week before he started that freshman year. He got baptized, and he was clueless, honestly, and he invited me over the years to come to a couple different teen events. Didn't invite me to church or anything like that. I didn't even, like, short of that, mostly those teen events were like, come and play Halo at my house, and we'd stay up till like three in the morning playing video games. Uh, and occasionally we'd do like a little devotional sort of thing. Uh, and, but really it was just friendship, you know, and it took five years. I stayed Clay's friend all through high school, and then we kind of, didn't spend any time together freshman year of college. But I went to go just see him one Sunday or Saturday, I think it was, and I just went by, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Like, I knew he kind of went to church. How's church going for you? And he goes, goes uh, you know, da-da-da-da-da, um, not great. I was like, oh, you reading your Bible? And I'm like, there's a whole other story here about where I'm at at this time. But he wasn't, he ends up inviting me to church this, it took five years for him to invite me to church. I come to church. I get asked to study the Bible. Four months later, I become a Christian. Right? It took almost five and a half years from meeting this clueless teenager who just was my friend. And, and just little snippets of faith of what he had and the courage to kind of do and, and pull me in. But eventually, I became a disciple. And one of the things I look at is God saw where he was at, and used the little faith he had to help me become a Christian. So if you think like, oh, you know what, I'm just, I just don't have it. You only need a little bit. You just, just extend the friendship, pull, pull people into some relationship, you know, introduce them to some spiritual things, let them know that that's kind of a place, and who knows what's going to happen. You may be at the spiritual low. Clay was at a, an intense spiritual low at that time. And that was where God used him. What about you? Right? God is still with you. God believes in you even in those moments. Right now, if you feel like I'm at the low of low, God's like, I can still use you. My power is with you. And I think of uh, the scripture in Ephesians, right? It says, my power is made perfect. Or Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You know, <clears throat> God can see your doubt. He can see where you're weak and he can work. Because he is so powerful. Right? And so, all of this, I just want to encourage you. There is, there is so much that God is doing. God worked through my flawed friend. And it completely changed my life. Without his meager faith at that time, I may never have been able to, to find freedom from my sin that I was enslaved to. I, I may never have met Kristen. I, may, I wouldn't have had the spiritual power to break the cycles of infidelity and alcoholism that run in my family. You know, I never would have moved to this amazing place or gotten to have you guys as my family. And I mean that. I never would have... I, I wouldn't have had my boys. All of this is good fruit to God's glory because God chose to work through somebody who had weak 
faith or low faith. Because God is powerful. And He believes in you and, and what can be done. And so no matter where you feel like you're at, you may be at the spiritual high of your life. Praise God, He's going to work through that faith as well. But he, He's going to work because God is powerful. He's going to work through you because you've taken on the mantle. You've, and He believes that you can do it. He believes in you more. He is unsurpassed in his belief in you. And he's patient, right? Wanting to see people be saved. So I guess the question I have for you is, are you living faithfully? God will work through you. He will, when you come with faith, with whatever measure of faith that may be, great or small, he will work. And so here's the thrust of it all. Here's just bringing it home, right? God, the most powerful being in all of existence, is with you, and he is for you, and he is coming back. And we don't know when. So I'm going to repeat what Peter wrote to the Christians 2,000 years ago. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, hopefully you're looking forward to it, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. You know, is that what you are doing? Is fear or lack of faith holding you back? If so, what are you doing to become more faithful and living more courageously? Of being someone full of faith, right? It's not just about doing things, but about being. Uh, my hope is that you could be full of faith. And that comes from God. So, you know, Jesus told us that we can do greater things and even greater things than he has done. So I, I just look at it. That action includes us making every effort to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. You know, and so my, my encouragement is, let's act now. Because we don't know what time remains. And God believes in us. He knows that we can be a part of great things. I want to encourage you. Let's be the people looking to our incredible God. He has unsurpassed patience. He has unsurpassed belief in you. And he is unsurpassed in his might. He's got your back. Let's push forward to see and do all we can to help others be saved. Because we don't know. Hey, it could be, could be tonight. You know, you saw the sunset on Friday night. You might have thought it was then. But, I mean, it, it just was incredible. But I, I, sky's opening up sort of a situation. But as I would... I hope that you can look forward to God's return and seeking Him out and living wholeheartedly, following Him, pursuing our God who's just unsurpassed. Amen.